Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit timesys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Okay, hi, welcome to Linux Link Radio. We have Mike Erickson with us today for a, a little interview. He, he was... Um, I, what happened? Your plane got misrouted or something? You ended up in Pittsburgh? I did. I uh, unfortunately landed right on the TimeSys building today. I uh, just thought I'd pop in and say hi. So that's what was that noise about. <laughs> okay. I thought it was... Because, you know, we have those people up... Well, never mind. We have people upstairs here. I mean, they're really loud. I, I, wonder, I wonder what goes on with them sometimes. So what do you do, what do, you do there for... Uh, I uh, am Logic Product Developments. I am the uh-huh. director of software products oh, in cool. our Embedded Platform Solutions group. Oh, wow. So one of the questions that you probably vaguely aware of Linux, and when I was asking you was, what are you seeing in terms of processor adoption for Linux? And uh, what, what looks like uh, on the horizon, at least from your perspective, what's uh, popular processor-wise? Uh, we see an incredible amount of interest in uh, both the IMX family coming from mm-hmm. Freescale and the OMAP family coming from Texas Instruments. Okay. Uh, really, the uh, any ARM-based processors running Linux right now have just been absolutely amazing within with uh, acceptance in the community, mm-hmm. uh, both the uh, open source community and uh, with people out there trying to put products together. Yeah. Now, what kind of what kind of application do you see typically deployed with those processors? Most of uh, most of the people that we see using them are fall into one of two broad categories: either medical device and instrumentation, or uh, industrial control. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry, Maciej. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, actually, uh, if I may, uh, so medical area. Uh, so you can't see us, but Maciej is behind me. So I, I miss out on the visual clues, and he's he's not he's out of arm's reach too. Yeah, I, I'm actually trying to trick you. So, <laughs> so it's not hard. You know? Yeah, it's not hard. Uh, believe me. <laughs> so uh, medical, that's actually very interesting because uh, for for long years, multimedia processors and Linux of multimedia processors was not very well adopted in a medical area. What what do you think are specific reasons for increased adoption? Sure. Uh, One of them, obviously, uh, just kind of standardizing, trying to move away from custom code bases. It's very expensive to maintain your own own code base. And and when I'm saying medical, I don't necessarily mean the the highest class of medical devices where somebody's running Linux on a pacemaker. That's not really the case. But there's a huge category of medical products, programmers for implantable devices, devices that measure specific uh, biometric data and report back. And when you think about, let's just take, for instance, something that needs to measure something like a, an EKG or, or a heart rhythm or, or, or something like that, um, what's needed there is you, you, you tend to want to connect that thing to, to a network. You want to get the information off of it. You want to communicate it back to somewhere. So Linux, absolutely uh, suitable for that with the open standards and, and the, the broad-based support for, for networking protocols. And then the desire to want to visually display it, to, uh, to display some of the graphing of data, something like that. And that's where a lot of these ARM system-on-chips, some of these advanced ARM system-on-chips are uh, excel at. They have uh, built-in LCD controllers. They have built-in acceleration um, to give great graphical performance. Some have built-in DSPs, uh, the the uh, coexistence of a vector floating point unit to do some very complex calculations and transformations yeah, yeah. to, yeah, to compute that data and display it. 
in a way that's meaningful. So, yeah. so is it more for the personal uh, medical devices or is it more for like hospital use, uh, larger scale devices? We're seeing most in, in hospital use. Uh, we're not seeing, we haven't done a lot of uh, in-home me medical device. Uh, that's not to say that that isn't also a large market space, but we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of customers developing uh, for mobile medical devices, things that might go into ambulances and actually in the hospital. Yeah, I have one of my buddies works at a uh, hospital here in Pittsburgh, and there's a great push to get things like medical records uh, computerized. Uh, because I mean, what happens is, is the, uh, someone comes in, you know, a patient comes in, and they get their heart measured, or you know, something. Well, not their heart measured, but you know, medical stuff happens. Yeah, <laughs> stuff happens. <laughs> like, what I was telling Mike at the beginning, I wasn't. You know, Mache was the smarter one. But um, there we go again. But what they do is for the. But what they do is like the current system is this, the, the person comes in, right? And they have like their heart rate or their pulse measures and someone writes it down and then a transcriber puts it in the system. And there's a great degree of error in that. And so there's a, there's a great, there's a, a large desire to have medical devices measure and record in the same step. And transfer over the network to a server or someplace where yeah. it can be stored permanently. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of labor involved, but aside from the labor cost, there's a, a huge just there's just transcription error that can happen, and that can have uh, terrible consequences if things aren't record, recorded correctly, or just when they do research later if they can't trust their data, you know, after the fact. So, so you've mentioned actually several aspects why um, there's an increased adoption of those processors specifically, and Linux in, in those different domains. Uh, but I know that logic um, your your business uh, model is around. Uh, Psalms, right? One of our business units definitely is is built around um, selling production ready system on modules to end customers. So, how do system on modules accelerate? I mean, help in getting uh, a product rolled out faster. Oh, um, really? What we try to focus on is, uh, you know, our customers are very, very good at some at their specific market. You know, they've got companies, they've invested time and energy to develop technology that suits their particular needs. Mm -hmm. um, whatever that need may be, maybe it's a medical measurement, um, that technology. And uh, what we do, what, what a great use of the module is, is to integrate it into their technology and give that sort of connectivity, get some display, give a general purpose uh, processing platform add that functionality into their product without having them take the risk of designing with one of these highly complex ARM-based processors without having them go off and have to roll their own operating system layer. We obviously are partnered with, uh, with TimeSys to, to help develop a complete operating system solution. So it saves, it basically keeps the engineers very focused on what's important to their business, yeah. but allows them access to the, the high technology um, that they might not otherwise be able to use efficiently. It helps get them into market. And on the flip side of that coin, we can help keep people in the market because we offload a chunk of that maintenance. We're kind of, we're spreading that maintenance, that module over many, many, many customers. So the engineers get to focus on, uh, on developing what's important to their company and kind of revving that technology, not trying to maintain a Linux platform or not trying to maintain compatibility when the flash revision goes out and right. they have to replace it and it's not programmable anymore. Yeah. The, the, the great thing about uh, those uh, SOMs that you manufactured, I like is the, the fact that if it goes bad in a device, it's uh, very easy to replace it. It, it yep. comes with a very nice connector. 
you just snap it off, snap a new one on, and that's probably how you can get a newer version of Flash on on those devices. As well. It's a very, it's a great way to upgrade your system. Uh, most of our modules across product families are are compatible. So we have customers that have started with us on an ARM 7 and are now running an ARM 11. And they didn't change their core design. They were able to design in a new module, put in a new module, and leave their baseboard uh, and their own circuitry alone. And they've got that performance, that extra performance uh, overhead. Wow. So, so it's it, a great upgrade path. This is amazing because that, that way you can move from one technology to another without changing your hardware design. Yep, and all you have to uh, deal with is really software. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, do you do you find uh, do you find that Logic is getting more involved in software? You know, now now that it's, I guess, you know, more involved with Linux. Do you find those two things you know working together? Yeah, we have always um, we've always tried to present to offer the market a, a complete platform solution up to and including an operating system level, and we've always struggled with Linux, not because we didn't have the the core ability to work with the technology. It was just finding the tools, mm. right? And, uh, you know, trying to keep my company focused on not becoming a Linux tools company because it's not really what we're good at. And, and we'd be, you know, we're doing a disservice to ourselves and to our own customers to try to try to strap that on. So it was actually great to find, uh, to establish a partnership with TimeSys because then we can focus on creating the BSP and keeping the patches out there, um, so that the kernel works and the drivers and if customers have trouble with the SOM, they can come directly to us. But the tools and the integration and that high value add Linux, they can come to you guys for. They can come to TimeSys yeah. and, and uh, it's a great solution. It's helped us quite a bit. Yeah. Well, Linux on, on those devices and you mentioned IMX31 um, and OMAP, um, well, has has evolved over the past few, uh, I would say, months Uh significantly uh with new uh processors coming out from semis uh there's a constant push for open source to adapt those boards and processor specific patches is logic also working in any ways with open source in that aspect we have um we've always tried to support the open source community several of our modules are just supported flat out in, in the standard distribution from kernel.org. Um, normally, it's not necessarily that we are pushing some of our patches to, mm -hmm. um, just because it, unfortunately, it takes more time than, than we've actually had resources to be able to do it well. Yeah. But we have certainly um, always taken the approach where we try to give hardware to some of the open source developers, some of the guys on the arm kernel.org, and, and a few of them have done just a fantastic job for us in the past. So they have the hardware, we supply it with them, we give them any kind of starter BSP or code that we have, and they kind of run with it and take it on as long as they want. Yep, because that way you can actually get very good standardization within the Linux community and the maintenance of standard, in this case models, becomes uh, less of a burden on a customer as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how, how are you seeing real-time adoption? Because both it seems like both of those areas that you, you brought up, so industrial automation or industrial control and uh, medical, seem to have you know, real-time elements. Are you seeing a lot of that from your customers? We uh, do. For Linux, at least? Um, we definitely get the question asked uh, mm -hmm. fairly regularly, the, the idea that I want to make sure my system you know, conforms to a real-time operating system that I have some, some control over my scheduling and, and my response time stays bounded. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get those questions. I don't know 
how many are are immediately using real-time patches in Linux, to be honest with you. Okay. I'd have to go back and ask my customers, but the topic certainly comes up very often. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we have the same... Uh, you know, across our the, the boards, you know the boards we deal with. I mean, we have a lot of customers that are in the same way. I mean, they're always curious about real time. But I, I have a very difficult time putting my finger on the number of people who make deadline or yeah, it's hard. applications where the deadline really matters. Um, well, that that actually brings a topic of um, sometimes confusion, right? Because real time can sometimes be perceived as making the system faster, and it actually is making very often system a bit slower because the trade-off is that you get the reliability of, uh, you know, if you run application, will always do the same over and over again. I run into that a lot, actually. Yeah. I get a lot of people that say, well, they ask about real time. And when I ask them, well, okay, describe to me what you want. And what they really mean is they want a fast turnaround time. It doesn't have anything to do with actually bounding the, the time of the computation. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a really common misperception. It's, it's amazing how often people just say, well, real time, it just, it, it, I need it to be fast. Yeah. Yeah. Frequent time because uh, this is going not fast enough for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. Frequently, yeah. frequently do get the throughput per, you know, versus over time sort of question or, or question or just discussion topic. Yeah. I think I always default to the old uh, definition from comp OS real time, you know, the, uh, uh, from the old Usenet, that that tends to tends to keep people uh, on an even keel if you read that to them. As far as uh, uh, footprint, for example, requirements, there is a certain finite amount of uh, flash space available on the some models themselves, right? But do you think that the footprint of the overall design is something where customers spend more of a time? I think. Um I believe customers do spend a lot of time thinking about footprint, but it's probably not for the reason that they start, the reason that, that might be obvious. Generally, a lot of embedded developers are, are, of course, just naturally concerned about keeping things small because we prefer to be efficient. It's just kind of, call it ingrained in, our, in the history of our, uh, of our practice. The reality that, that I see a lot is that the hardware has become kind of so cheap mm -hmm. that sometimes you can't even buy small amounts of flash. Yeah. By the time, you know, for instance, our, our OMAP uh, system on module comes with an incredible amount of NAND flash on it. I believe it comes standard with 64 megabytes of NAND flash. And we can't even really get smaller flash in that. It's not even cost effective for us. Similarly with RAM, we have 128 megabytes of, of RAM because to try to get smaller smaller sizes of mobile DDR is is not... It, it's, it doesn't cost save. But what keeps people concerned about size, image size, actually starts to tie to boot time. Because a lot of people don't like to execute, especially if you're using NAND. Of course, you can't execute out of NAND. And so they need to copy the kernel. They need to copy things over into RAM. And they want that performance in improvement of actually yeah. running out of, out of RAM. And the larger your image is, you've got to, it increases your boot time. So that's really people, I think, they have a knee-jerk reaction to want to keep things small because that's just what their kind of mindset is. And they find out the hardware is they have all, all the memory probably that they their fathers would have ever dreamed of having. Yeah. And then they kind of come back to it when they realize that they start to abuse all that space and find out that their boot time starts to increase. Yeah. This is actually a very good point well, because people don't realize how boot time is, how much is it affected by um, 
selecting specific footprint. Well, that, that was the exact customer. So I was at a, I was at a, out of the country um, uh, last <laughs> week, but the customer I worked with, that was their exact problem. They had, you know, extremely powerful power PC boards and they were very focused on, you know, boot time. It really made a lot because they had a, a rack of these things they had hundreds of these in a rack and they, and they needed to boot up quickly. And as when I talked to them, they, I, you know, I was talking about conserving space and making things smaller and it wasn't until about 10 minutes into that, that they, that the light went on in their head that that's why, cause they looked at me and said, well, why, why are you telling us how to make it smaller? And then I explained <laughs> to them, I was like, well, you know, when it's smaller, it comes out of flash faster. There's less code that's running. Uh, there's, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of hardware initialization that doesn't happen. That's right. And, uh, then you get a much faster booting system and they had the same effect. So yeah. on their boards, you know, these were, these were like hardcore embedded guys and, so they had a 128 mega flash on the board, and according to them, that was that was ludicrous. They they, yeah. could, they couldn't believe. It's like, what are you going to do with that much memory? <laughs> it, it, they just like it's 128 meg, and I can't believe that. That's ridiculous. You know, the other thing you run across too, and and this is I know it's been improved with JFFS, but you know the you also have partition issues with JFFS because it's you know the mount time for a JFFS partition is directly proportional to the size of the partition. Size, yeah. So there's a lot of folks that, that just want to economize for that reason. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or just use like a different file system or for whatever they boot up. They were, they ended up running out of init Ram FS. They, um, and then just mount up a little JFS file system to. Once everything was up and load, running. Yeah. yeah I've seen load customers do that too. It's yeah. a, it's a nice, it's, it's a pretty good way to, to do things. Uh, if you find that you have a, a large root file system to kind of boot up quickly on a very small partition or a NITFS, and then later on, once your app is up and, and maybe your mm -hmm. user is happy or has the perception that, that your device is up, then go on and, and get that larger that larger partition mounted. Spend the time. Yeah. Yep. And for them, I think their boards had like 19 million megabytes on them because they were, they were doing, I couldn't, I, they wouldn't tell me what they were doing, actually. They were defense contractors. They did stuff, right? <laughs> But um, th their boards secret. do have yeah secret stuff, secret things. It was it was one of and those you were out of the country. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh yeah. So it was one of those things where there, in order for me to get from where I was, I'm sorry, this is pretty probably no, talk about what you want to talk about. But so in order for me to get to, uh, from where I was, I had to go through like seven doors, and and it, there was there's combinations of things you had to put your key on and then put your key on and press a button, and it was this big labyrinth to get. Did you get to stare into a laser? I always wanted to do that. They didn't have a retinal reader. No, you no. probably don't. No. We, yeah. <laughs> should, yeah. They maybe scanned it when you weren't looking. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Look up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't want me to look at stuff. I didn't, but they didn't, they didn't, it wasn't that secure because they didn't turn. You, you have, you ever been on the place where they turn on the light whenever there's like a big police light in the ceiling. You've never been to anything like that much? Oh, come on. So you no. go in. Uh, sorry, this is like way off topic. But whenever you're an insecure. Nothing that I'd be willing to talk about on the radio. Yeah, yeah. When you're an insecure person, they turn on this light and there's like a police light that turns on the, so that people know to hide their stuff. Where were you? I can't, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> okay. I was someplace that had that security measure. All right. Hope I'm not going to get there. Yeah. Anyway. Were they shooting? P pardon me? Were they shooting? I'm not allowed to tell you anything. I'm sworn to secrecy. Okay. Well, I got that out of you. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll, you'll ply me with coffee or something like that. I'll tell Probably. you. 
I'll spill the beans. Uh, okay. But no, so with respect to security too, I mean, having something like those saw modules, it's probably better for, a lot better for system security, at least for updates. I, I would imagine. Well, there are some interesting things, uh, some, some sorry, different scenarios so that you can do uh, with security with the SOMs. And we've certainly addressed that. We've got a, a really cool little security chip yeah. um, down on the device where we, we have the ability to store some things. And, and partly there, one aspect of it is just making sure that we're keeping the module you know, that, that if we do release code, that it runs just on our module. Mm -hmm. But the other aspect is to secure our customer's code. Yeah. And we have some scenarios that we can help um, customers. And we've worked with applications um, for specific customers of saying, look, you know, um, a common concern is somebody wants to build maybe overseas and they're worried about the software that they have. And it needs off. to yeah. be partitioned and make sure that it doesn't run on anything else and it stays secure. Mm -hmm. Um and frankly, some of the uh, a lot of the new uh, the newer ARM products, uh, for instance, the IMX thirty one from Freescale has a great security engine yeah, it really in it. Is. It's got a whole high assurance boot block in it. Um, a lot of these they have crypto um, accelerators that yep. that allow you to to do some triple des and some of the other MD five summing and some of the other popular algorithms that, that have or pertain to cryptography uh, very, very efficiently and very quickly. So um, really good building blocks to go ahead and do a, and, and build a secure device. And of course, Linux is a great, a great platform because it supports all of those algorithms and, and all the, uh, the, uh, the assorted uh, security benefits of yep. using an open source operating system. Yep. So that's probably what you were um, talking about at that customer side, right? How to uh, use the different cryptography um, products, and that's why the the light went off. <laughs> I can't kidding. tell you. You know, I talked. I ran into some guy. I'm not. I, I think he was pulling my leg. I, I think he was pulling my. But he claimed this is not me. So he claimed that he was he was at a uh, government U.S. government site, and he had to give a training course. And so he walked in the door, and he went in a little like an ante room, and they put a bag over his head. And then oh, they walked him to his conference. Oh I think he was pulling my leg. I think so. Too, <laughs> that sounds a little urban legendy. I, I think he was t totally pulling my leg. But he 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 did encounter the lights in the ceiling, you know, the insecure person light. Oops. <laughs> but I think the bag over the head was him just pulling my leg. What do you think? Well, I've never been in such situation, so I don't know. But uh, it sounds awfully like he was. Yeah, I, yeah, I th I think so. I think he was just jerking me around. Well. Anyways, it was a very interesting uh, conversation. Thank you very much, Mike. Oh, it. thanks for having me. Well, Appreciate yeah, I, it. I had one more thing to ask. Oh, you do? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, actually, I'm not. But so, did you run? A, so, an, another thing that we run across for embedded folks is the whole GPL thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to know, from your perspective, whether you're seeing people, you know, come to a state of sanity with respect to how GPL works for their project, and that it's not the it's not something evil that will result in all their intellectual property draining out of the company the minute they release their, their product. Yeah, I think um, I have certain – it's a great term, a great way to say sanity. Um, I certainly have not seen over the last couple of years some of the, uh, the brash reactions mm -hmm. uh, that people had in years prior. Just the, just the gut, I'm not going to use Linux because I'll have to give away – uh, the farm if I do. And it was almost a visceral reaction. I mean, it was, it was. and yeah. I think people have figured out that, you know, the, you know, your application can stay your application, which is typically, you know, face it, there's not too many, there's only a handful of companies out there that make a living off of providing a Linux 
proprietary. Platform. Okay, yeah. then an operating system and, and BSPs and, and that kind of stuff. Everybody else that's trying to use Linux to get a product to market, it's really their application yep. that they're worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's a driver involved, maybe for a custom piece of hardware. And uh, really, you know, with the binary module, and that's still kind of an icky situation uh, for the community. But I think people need to understand that for an actual company, they, especially an embedded company, and I think people don't like the mod you know, mod probe and, and binary modules when they think about it. Well, it's my desktop and I've got some graphics card and here's some company that's not really playing nice and I want my graphics card to work and tweak it. And that that argument has some validity to it. But in our embedded space, we're talking about people that have really custom pieces of hardware that they cannot let out and they won't use Linux if they can't protect some of the information right. um, about dealing with that. And so that that binary, that ability to do binary modules, in my opinion, is very important and it, and it assuages a lot of fears. And between that and, and people realizing that it's really their application that they're trying to protect and uh, as long as they, they play nicely and, and stay within the bounds, nobody's going nobody's gonna to scream and say, give me the source code for your application. It's been good yeah, the and, last couple yeah, of years. And just the nature of an embedded device you know, changes the uh, changes how that update transaction works. You, yeah. You're not going to have a user out in the field that is going to have any interest in independently updating the, the kernel version and therefore needing something other than the binary driver you ship them. It's just that's just a user's pattern that does not occur. And, uh, and yeah. in most cases, the, the end user is not even aware of what's running on a device, right? So uh, to begin with, yeah, and, and nor do they care, right? Because yeah. they wanted to perform some certain action for them. And after that, you know, the, the idea that there's the, you know, software that's on there, that's something they could hack. Could hack, hack. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very rare. Maybe like the Linksys, you know, that was kind of a common, that was you know, something that would be an embedded way. device that yeah. suddenly had this cult following of people that wanted to hack it and do different things with it. But yeah, that would be me, by the way. It, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a that's the exception really that proves the rule. I mean, most embedded devices, at least anything that my customers are, are shipping, I, I can't imagine that are all devices that people wouldn't really ever want to monkey with a software or even happen to understand what software is running. I mean, yeah. It's kind of their nature. Yeah. And I think that the Linksys platform was on purpose marketed the, the way to yeah. enable hackers. Oh, it sucked to- me right in. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> hey, Mr. Gene, this yeah. is Linux running on me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they got me. So, anyway, so now, now I'm sorry. Now you're, no, I, no. I know we're hitting our time. I know we're hitting our time limit. So, uh, I really appreciate you coming in. And, and yeah, that was great. Most people don't want to talk to us. So, <laughs> it's <true. laughs> that's not true. It's your stories. But yeah. that's <laughs> and and so uh, and and you're you're heading out to get the, the Grand Tour of Pittsburgh, right? I believe I am. I'm uh, going up some sort of incline. Oh, I, I heard I'm going up an incline. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited about that. I haven't been up an incline in a while, so I think I actually want to try it out. It's it's pretty. It's a pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's a pretty it impressive thing. It took me seven years to get up there, but finally I did, and really great view. It's pretty good. Yeah, All right, that's pretty good. And wow. so, and ho- hopefully they won't cheap out, and they'll take you to one of the nice restaurants up. <laughs> I'll tell him he said that. Not the hot- <laughs> <laughs> they will hear that the first. <laughs> first if it's if it's up to me, right? They they take me to like the hot dog cart or something, but they'll probably take you to someplace nicer. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for watching. Enjoy your visit. Yeah, appreciate it. This podcast was brought to you by TimeSys. Are you new to embedded Linux? Looking for a way to simplify your next project? The Linux Link service by TimeSys makes it easy to build your custom embedded Linux platform. 
Go to timesys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.